0: Good morning again everybody. Thank you for joining us for worship. Um, This morning we're going to continue on in our series, Encounters with Jesus. And I will mention again, make sure you fill out your cards or go online and fill out your encounter. This morning we will have Carissa Calloway share her encounter. She's real excited to do it. She is. And uh, so we look forward to that. Uh, even though it's Advent season, Christmas season, we're still in our series and we'll connect the dots to see how that works. This morning we'll be in John 11. Uh, we are going to read all 44 verses, so I invite you to stand if you're able. If you, It'll take us about four or five minutes, depending on how fast I read. Um, so join you. invite you to join me in reading of John 11, verse 1. And it reads, "'A man named Lazarus was sick. "'He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. "'This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume "'on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. "'Her brother Lazarus was sick. "'So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, "'Lord, your dear friend is very sick. "'But when Jesus heard about it, "'he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death.' No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judah. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judah were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen to but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in the loss, in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, She went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and he wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would have not died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with, it, with her, a deep anger welled up within him. He was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, the man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But but Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we have together with you. Thank you that we get to worship you, Lord, through song and now through your word, through fellowship later on. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that leads us and guides us. And we pray that you prepare our hearts to receive what you have. We do. We are thankful that there are stories like this that are true, that we can have hope even in death. And that's because of you. So Lord, will you just prepare us to receive your word? Use me however you see fit. Whatever you want me to say, I say whatever you don't. I don't. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. So as we continue our series, Encounters with Jesus, we have now transitioned the last couple of weeks within our encounters as we see a focus of what Jesus is doing and his purpose. Last week, we saw Peter's restoration, and we see one of the purposes that Jesus had for coming to earth is for restoration, even for those who are Christians and the need to be restored after you've... Feld made a mistake as Peter was restored. Someone mentioned to me last week that they appreciated the fact that Jesus always calls you back to shore. This week, we see resurrection and the glory of God through death. Next week, we'll see forgiveness of sin, and then, of course, on Christmas Day, we'll talk about Jesus' birth. And Perhaps this is one of the stories that at least helps respond to the question, why does bad things happen to good people, perhaps specifically more, and you may have even asked it yourself, or you've heard people ask you, doesn't God care? Doesn't he care for and fill in the blank? And this is a narrative story that John includes in his gospel to help the reader understand God's glory and resurrection, and that's the simple terms, yet the heart of Jesus is what we see, and and it's easy to jump to the end of the story and celebrate the resurrection of Lazarus being brought back to life. Yet, there's so much in this story that can help us respond to the question, does God really care? Or, where was he, where was God when, fill in the blank. I'm assuming I'm not the only one who's ever asked that question or have been asked that question. This week alone I've been asked, well, if God loves me, then why fill in the blank? But what we see here is that Jesus is, what Jesus is showing us here is that there is no resurrection unless there's a death. And death is a result of sin, and Jesus cares for both. And just up front, just be reminded, death was never part of God's original plan. Yet, as he's so able to do, in our failures, in our sin, he takes it and uses it for his glory and I've read and I've heard of this story several times growing up. This is one of the go-to stories. It's exciting. And I even remember as a kid thinking, man, he must have looked like a really cool zombie. <laughs> but really, this, did not, this story did not have an impact on me until I was in college. And when I was at a memorial service, while I was going to college for to be an automotive engineer, our building was a cross the way from the nursing building, and there was a girl that was going to school to be a nurse, and um, she knew no stranger. She was the most bubbly, exciting person that you would know, and one thing that you knew about this girl, her name is Sarah, is that she loved the Lord, and she wanted to love people, so that's why she wanted to be a nurse. So while I was going to school to be an automotive engineer, she was going to school to be a nurse, and we were across the quad. She was a bit of an old school Christian, so she always carried tracts with her. And if you don't know what tracts are, there's little pamphlets that tell you about Jesus, and she'd pass them out all the time. And she even got modern and had little mints that had Bible verses on them and passed them out like she was old school. But a year into her program, the second year into my program, Sarah was in a car accident and She died. Uh, And it was a tragedy for both the engineering building and for the nursing side. And everyone was heartbroken. And of course, the question was repeated over and over and over again. Why her? Didn't God love her like she loved him more than all of us? But why? And again, both departments were just heartbroken over it. And both departments went to the memorial service or the celebration of life both sides went, and I remember the pastor, her pastor, I don't remember his name, I just remember how many people were there, I remember a few things about it, but one of the things I remember is that the pastor who led the gravesite um, used John 11, specifically verse 4, and he said, no, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this, from her death. And then he said, don't waste this death. God has not, either should you. So that was the first time that this story went from 2D, just on the paper, to 3D. I was living it, and I watched it happen. And as he said, don't waste this death. God has not, either should you. That day, several students came to Christ over 30. But we were heartbroken, of course. Her death brought Jesus' glory. People came to know Christ. She was with Jesus then and now. And then hopefully, this morning as we consider that and consider death, we will see that death, again, was never part of God's original plan, but yet sin caused death and the penalty of sin is death, and yet Christ can take the loss of a life and bring himself glory and ultimately christ's death is christ's death burial and resurrection is what gives us life forever so this morning as we look at this encounter there are several people who have encounters with jesus as we have read the story And what I'll do is what I've been doing through this whole series is I will take a look at individual people in this story and see how Jesus had an encounter with them specifically. And really hopefully we'll look at the and answer the question about death and why does things like this happen and for what purpose. And not not that this will solve that question in its entirety because we have feelings and it's sad and anytime someone dies... It breaks our heart. It should break our heart. But yet, as we consider this, as we look through this, as we'll go through it, we'll move pretty quickly because it's 44 verses. This could have been four sermons all on its own, but I decided just to keep it at one. But as we walk through this, just uh, my hope is that I'll bring out some of the things that Jesus says in these encounters, and hopefully it will bring us peace. And if you're already sitting here thinking, well, this is not a very Christmassy message, I don't know what more is more of a Christ, Christmas message than the hope of the resurrection. The whole reason why he came as a baby. So let's look at this. Let's consider this. So right away in the story, if we start back at verse 1, there's a man named Lazarus who was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And uh, John tells us this is Mary, who later on pours the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wipes it. We'll read that in the next chapter. We won't cover it this time through. Her brother Lazarus was sick, but what I want to point out to you is verse 3, and it says the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. So they themselves did not come. They sent a message. Where they're at is only about two miles away, so it's not very far. So they send a message and say, your dear friend is very sick. That means your dear friend, Jesus, the person, one of your best friends here on earth is sick. So now we're starting to consider the question of someone that you love, Lord, is sick. In verse four, this is Jesus' response. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus sick will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. No, it happened for the glory of God, God the Father, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Death does not end the life of a person if they have a relationship with Christ. So, verse 5, it says, So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, so although Jesus loved him. So much, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now, on the outside, if someone calls me and says, hey, your best friend is sick, I want to drop everything that I can do and go to that person, right? Doesn't that make sense? So there, there has to be more to this story than just favoritism or don't you love someone? Because verse 5 says, although Jesus loved them, he stayed two more days. He loved them, so he stayed. He stayed. See, Christ's love doesn't end with just one person. His love is for everyone, and he will use this to show glory. Because at this point, so far, Jesus has been performing many miracles, even if you combine the gospels, and if you're looking at it chronologically, you will see that he's shortly about to go into uh, Jerusalem and where he will be sacrificed. But yet, people know that he's performed so many miracles. And yet, here's one more. And the assumption is, of course, Jesus would heal his best friend. Why wouldn't he? But yet there's more to it. So verse eight goes on. It says, but his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judah were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? So the, this. This confusion. So Jesus deals with the confusion of the disciples. Jesus decides to stay two more days before he goes. The disciples, their encounter with Jesus is they're assuming Jesus doesn't want to go right away because he was almost about to be stoned. He was almost going to be killed. So the disciples assumed, we know you love him, but are you staying behind because you're afraid that you're going to be stoned? Like that would make sense. If you go back into the town that just tried to kill you, is that why you're not going? So Jesus answers their question. And of course, in very Jesus' form, he answers the question in what seems to be a riddle, but he replies in verse 9, Jesus replied, There are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have light of this world. But at night, there's danger of stumbling because they have no light Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. So what he's mentioning in verse nine is he's saying that there's only so much time to accept Christ. There's only so much time to accept me. A person only has their life here on earth to accept me. After that, there's no hope. He said, but we will go. We're going to respond to this. So in verse 11, they say, Then they said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly Lazarus is dead. Like, there's no question about it. He's not sleeping in the sense of how you think that he's taking a good nap. He's actually dead. He's playing on the words. He's playing on the understanding that the Jewish people in the Old Testament, and up to this point to Christ, they called death sleeping. Now, the question is, is what happened to people when they died before Jesus came? Wait, what? So, there's two school of thoughts. One... It's where the Catholic people now call purgatory, which, just to be clear, I do not believe in purgatory. But the the assumption was before Jesus came, and although Catholic people still carry on through the tradition of purgatory, that they were just in this weird holding cell, if you will. The Jewish people at the time primarily that was one thought. The other one was that would, they would go to Abraham's bosom, is what they would say from Exodus, but, or excuse me, from Numbers. But what, what, the hope, what the thought was is that they were waiting to, for something. That's why later on Mary said, but I know about the resurrection. So what they called it, all that to say is they called death sleeping until Christ would come to get them. So they're, they're confusing, but see what Jesus is doing is he's systematically answering all of their questions in what would appear to be a delay. God, if only you were here, why don't you hurry up? Don't you care? This person loves you. He's your friend. So he just wants to make it clear. Verse 14, no, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, verse 15, I am glad. Wait, you're glad that your friend is dead? that's weird. That sounds weird. And actually, that word glad there in verse 15 actually means rejoice. And then in the New Testament, Jesus only rejoices or uses the word rejoices three times, and this is one of them. The other two is whenever he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he rejoices when the Holy Spirit came to him. Whenever he was baptized and he rejoiced that the Holy Spirit will come after his death and resurrection and ascension. But Let me read it in the original text, if you will. And for your sakes, I am rejoicing I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. I am glad I wasn't there for your sake. For now, you will really believe. Because up until this point, they're still going back and forth. Is he the Messiah? Does he just do cool parlor tricks? Is he just a prophet? But he's saying, this is a good thing. I'm going to use this death of my friend and bring him back to life so that way you really believe. Because ultimately, what's Christ's goal is that we believe in him as our Lord and Savior. So, verse 16, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. And in the original text, he's being very sarcastic. Oh, boy, let's, let's go die with Jesus. I really appreciate Thomas. He's doubting Thomas. He's always the one that says, ask the question. It's almost like when you're in class and the teacher says, all right, does everyone get it? And the one guy in the back says, no, actually, I don't. Can you say it again? And everyone's like, oh, come on. Just say yes so we can leave. Also, or the one who says, I know it's Friday, but do we have homework? Did you forget to assign us homework? <laughs> don't be that guy or girl. But he's, oh great, we're gonna go die. So Thomas, he doesn't play around. If you if you do a study on Thomas, doubting Thomas, as he's affectionately known, he's always asking questions because he doesn't want to just say okay. He wants to really believe. Side note on that: if you have questions about Jesus, Jesus is big enough to handle them. Uh, what I've noticed. What tends to happen is you're a follower of Christ and you come to the point where you feel like you should know the answer because you've been walking with him for so long that you're afraid to ask the question because you're afraid He's gonna, God's going to be mad at you. It's almost as if, don't you know better? Be a Thomas, ask all the questions. And if you don't get it, ask him again. But anyways, says, all right, let's go die with Jesus, yay. So verse 17, when Jesus arrives at... Arrived at Bethany, which is about two miles away. He was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Let's just stop there just for a moment. Up until this point, Jesus has healed, uh, resurrected two people. The widower's son, who had died and had only been dead for maybe a couple hours. And Jairus' daughter, who's probably only been dead maybe a half an hour, roughly. So up until this point, when Jesus brought someone back to life, it had only been for a short period, that they had actually been dead. I'll carry this a little bit more. Have you ever heard of the term Save by the Bell? I'm not talking about the 90s sitcom show. But Save by the Bell, what, what they would do is they were unsure if people were actually dead sometimes. So, what they would do is if they buried someone, they would tie a string around their ankle or their foot and put it on top of, and run the rope on top of the grave with a little bell. And if someone who they thought was dead, that was buried, woke up, they would be able to ring the bell, say by the bell. I'm not joking. That's a true story. So there was a superstition at this time, a Jewish superstition, that if someone died, the spirit would hover over the dead body for three days, just in case God decided to put them back into the body. That's why, say, by the bell, they would add the bell later on, just in case God decided to put the spirit back in. By the fourth day, the body would already be decomposed, and the spirit would be like, and then leave. (laughs) I don't know how else to say it. That was the superstition at the time. So really, the reason why Jesus waited four days is he wanted to make sure everyone knew this time, Lazarus was good and dead. He was dead, dead super dead all right not just maybe dead but dead dead also the jewish people would not embalm people like the egyptians would only if you were extremely wealthy but probably not so if someone would die or appeared to be died they would try to bury him within the first day it's pretty gross don't you aren't you glad you live now in the time that we do now so jesus waited the two days to bring glory to himself so that way, when he brought, brought back Lazarus from the dead, he could show he was really, really dead, not just maybe dead, it wasn't a parlor trick. Because the two other resurrections, people at that time were considering, oh, he, they weren't really dead, he was just really sick. He did a cool trick and brought him back. So as we continue on, verse 18, Beth, Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary and their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, if you've done a study, if you heard the study with Mary and Martha, you know that beforehand... Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet talking to him. Martha was doing all of the work. It's usually a study, that in a women's study, about taking time to take a break to be with Jesus and not worrying about doing the work. But what I've noticed here is that Martha was mad. Like, in the original Greek, if you read it, Lord, if only, if only is an accusation. So if you would picture, Martha comes to Jesus and says, if only. I mean, I get it. Her brother died. And in Martha's mind, I mean, Jesus, like, if you're going to heal anyone, wouldn't you heal your friend? So she comes out to meet him. Jesus doesn't even get there. Have you ever been so mad that you stopped someone at the front door even before they got in and told them off? No? You guys are holy. But (laughs) so mad, so angry. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's kind of true, though. It's partially true. See, the assumption still is that Jesus was limited in his power to heal. He had to be present. Verse 22, but even now, I know that God would give you whatever you ask. So now, it's almost as if, at least the way that I read it, she gets real mad, points her finger at Jesus, and then all of a sudden, it clicks. Oh, I'm talking to Jesus. I should, like... Calm down a little bit. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. It's true, but it's limiting of God's power. Lord, if only. Have you ever said that to God? If only you would. So verse 23, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Verse 24, yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day so I just want to camp out here. She gives a very biblical response, a very Sunday school response, if you will. Yes, Jesus, one day we'll all be resurrected again. I know that everyone else will. Um, It's almost like She says, yes, I know one day you will raise him up again, like all of us. Like, I understand all that. But where were you? She's still upset. She's still accusing Jesus of not caring, is her undertone. So at a funeral or memorial service or at a celebration of life, I think sometimes we jump, and I know that I do, especially whenever I'm leading the memorial service or the celebration of life— If they're a Christian, I I want to jump right to the fact that they are in the presence of the Lord, which is true. Like, I want to start right there. Like, that's the hope. It's true. But we can't ignore sadness. Like, death should be sad. We should be sad about death. It should break our heart. And I know that our response is, yes, but he or she is in glory now. Very true. But a lot of times we just skip the part of grieving, skip the part of being sad, skip the part of it breaking our heart. We'll see in a minute, we'll read it again, that Jesus weeps over it, and he's angry over death. And so should we. Death is because of sin. And we can't treat sin just flippantly. It costs Jesus everything. So as you consider that, don't don't be, don't be quick to skip the sadness in death. So as Jesus is talking to her, your brother will rise again. She gives a very Sunday school answer. Yes, we know uh, one day at the very end, he will come one day later. But that's not what Jesus is, is telling her. What Jesus is reminding her is, and he's very gracious. He says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. It's one of the seven I am statements. The I am statements goes all the way back to when Moses is talking to the burning bush. I am, God says. And this is one of the seven statements that Jesus says that I am to show that he is from God. He is God. I am the resurrection and life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after death, after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? So he doesn't want to skip ahead. He wants to let her know, I am the resurrection. You're you're thinking about one day he'll be resurrected, but I am the resurrection. Jesus is not saying, I am the one who resurrects people. It's true. He says, I, myself, I am the resurrection. Not only will I be raised again, but I am it. You identify the resurrection in me. You're, You're worried about one day later he will rise again. I'm the reason right here in the presence he he pushes so much for the relationship for Martha now do you see why it's so important for Lazarus to be dead up until this point everyone thought Jesus was going to point to the resurrection but he is the resurrection and and what you say and what you believe in before tragedy strikes tends to be be what you believe in during tragedy and that's why he's trying to like calm her down cuz she's Martha chill bro Sis, whatever. I am the resurrection. So then she responds and her tone changes. Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. So she says, I get it. Now she runs to Mary, her sister. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her the teacher's here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Now, real quick, the mourners, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, Jewish people hired professional mourners to cry and well when someone died. In our Western culture, we kind of are subdued. We try not to cry. We try to be brave, try to be quiet, Sucking our tears. But in the Eastern culture, in the Jewish culture... It was yelling and screaming, and so much so, they would hire professional people just to scream and cry. And if any time that it kind of just dropped down, the mourners would pick it back up again. Come on, everybody, let's let's, let's get the choir going. So she's crying, and so then Martha gets, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside of the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were in the house, consoling Mary, saw her leaving so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says the same exact thing that Martha says, but more of a place of mourning. And you notice that she throws herself or she falls at Jesus' feet. She is always at Jesus' feet. You'll notice that the way that you treat Jesus in your day-to-day is the way that you treat Jesus in the heat of a situation, as I had mentioned before. What you believe in Jesus in normal circumstances is what you believe in who he is then. So he comes, so she comes and falls at her feet. She knows that Jesus is able to, and she says, Jesus, I... If only you would have been here, I don't know what to say, but he's dead. She's heartbroken over it. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people welling with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Uh, In the Greek, that anger welled up in him is described, the word picture there is a horse blowing out snot, anger. Anger. An animal, a beastly anger. He is so upset now. He is deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked him. So he's upset and he's angry. Here he's upset and angry over death. Jesus doesn't like death. That was never part of the plan. He's angry over the death. Everyone is sad. Everyone is asking, where have you been? All of this is coming to a head and he's angry. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept death is awful. It makes Jesus cry. The people who were standing nearby, seeing how much he loved him. But some said, the man healed a blind man. Couldn't have he kept Lazarus from dying? This physical death? Why? Why this is the question? Why? Couldn't have he have done something? Jesus was still angry, and as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. That's how they would bury people. Uh, When you go to Jerusalem, what you'll see is that there's several caves. It was just real easy, and what they would do is they would just roll a stone in front of it simply so there wouldn't be any grave robbers. And to be graphic, what they would do is wait until the body decomposed, and they would take the bones, crush them up, put them in a little jar, put the skull on top of it left it there for the next person in the family. So he comes to this tomb, and he's still angry. In verse 39, he says, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them, but Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. The King James says, my brother, he will stinketh. See, what Martha sees and what the people there see is only what the physical is. They assume that Jesus just wants to see the dead body. He wants to confirm, perhaps, that he's dead. What they, see, they still don't understand that Jesus is about to do a miracle. They, they, only can see, they can't see beyond the physical. And Jesus responds, and he's still a little heated, and he said, didn't I tell you? That you would see God's glory if you believe. It can happen, but you've missed it. You you've that's the whole reason that I'm here. So they rolled it away. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Anytime that Jesus prays out loud, it's not for his sake or God's sake, it's for the sake of the people, so they hear how to pray. And Late, later on in John, when they ask Jesus how to pray, or whenever he does pray for the future Christians, when Jesus prays for us, and he prays it out loud, it's not for his benefit, it's for our benefit. And here he says, Father, thank you for hearing me. See, he's already answered the question, where were you, Jesus? Don't you care? Yes, thank you for hearing me, God the Father. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. And he heals them. Commentaries suggest the reason why he called him by name is so that way all the dead people wouldn't come out. It's probably true. But he shouts out, after he prayed, he's always praying, before he does a miracle, he's always praying to God the Father, the source of the power. He's always showing us that the source of the power comes from the Father. He's showing us that he is the resurrection, but it comes from God the Father. So as we consider this story, for your sake, I am glad that I wasn't there. For your sake, because ultimately, it's not about physical healing, it's about spiritual healing. And the only way that you will believe is if he died and I brought him back to life. That's God's purpose. That's what Christ's purpose is. So let's just consider this real quick, just this encounter. Let's think about Lazarus. There's not much to him except he comes back. But imagine Lazarus. Jesus didn't come right away. So that means that Lazarus took his last breath, closed his eyes for what would be the final time thinking that Jesus didn't come. Can you imagine that? He closed his eyes, took his last breath, and and he had to think, man, Jesus didn't come. Or perhaps Mary and Martha waiting by his bedside, Lazarus' bedside, hoping for a miracle, hoping for a healing watching Lazarus, their brother, die, thinking that Jesus didn't make it in time. Jesus was late. Could have titled this, Four Days Late and Right on Time. Mm -hmm. All three of them, their encounter with Jesus initially was Jesus didn't answer their prayer. He didn't make it. He died. Yet... Jesus was right on time. Jesus brought him back to life. Jesus dealt with them individually and corporately. He brought Lazarus back from the death. He spoke to Mary and Martha separately, saying, I am the resurrection. He did this so that way people would believe that he has the power to raise people from the grave. So ultimately when he dies and he rises again, that people would understand that what he says is that he is the resurrection, that whoever dies, whoever believes in him, when they die, they will have eternal life. So that way when John writes in John three sixteen, earlier, all of this is pointing to the resurrection. All of this is pointing to our hope. All of this is pointing to so did Jesus answer their prayer? Yes, but not in the way they wanted. So going back to that original question, asking why, why does this happen? Doesn't Jesus care? He cares very much. But his plan is so much greater than what we can comprehend. And as that pastor said at that funeral of my friend Sarah 20-something years ago now, don't waste this death. God has not, and neither should you. God, God doesn't waste a death. It's all pointing to the glory of God for salvation. So with that, as we continue on in our encounters with Jesus, I would like to invite Krissa up to share her encounter with Jesus. So we should clap and welcome her up.
1: morning. (laughs) So when Dallas started this series, they'd asked for something recent and God laid on my heart something that happened in 2020. I shared it anyway, knowing that I would probably end up up here (laughs) because that's how God seems to work. So um, if you don't know us, my husband and I struggled with infertility for several years before God led us to adopt and she's back there. (laughs) she's usually chattering if you hear someone chattering it's her Um, so we were matched with an expectant mom in October of 2020 and we came alongside her for several months supporting her and encouraging her and then in December the same day that salon shut down for the third time for COVID she told us that she had changed her mind and decided to parent herself And in that time, I didn't understand why, which is kind of ironic with the series and what Dallas shared today, that God didn't give me a reason, and what he did give me was his peace and comfort in that. And one day, I was just listening to worship music, and I didn't really even have words to pray, but he told me, stop striving, you have done enough. And my husband didn't understand either what I was doing. And I told him, I can't explain it, but I have a peace that God is working, and we just need to be still. And kind of like Lazarus, there was this period that people like to jump to, well, then you got Dakota and everything was great and fine. And it was. And in the end, he gets all the glory in that but in that interim there was a darkness and I couldn't see what was next so a month later we got a call that a baby girl was born and the adoption agency chose us to parent her and with covid there was a lot of uncertainty we didn't have any guarantees that if we took her home that she would stay in our home But we said yes and trusted that God again had a will and he was just calling us to say yes to the next step. We took her home and it was permanent. She is our daughter and all along God was working and that was his will. Through all of those years he knew she was coming and I truly believe now that being matched with that expectant mom, pouring into her and encouraging her was God's will not for us, but for her sake, and that she chose life for him. Partially, probably because we were there for her and gave her that option that she had hoped that there was other things besides aborting her baby that she could do. So, in all things, whether we can see through them in the moment or not, God works all things together for our good, and He gets all of the glory.
0: God never wastes a tragedy and even in our tragedy someone can be blessed by it. We are all blessed because Lazarus died. We are all blessed ultimately because Christ died for our sins. We are going to receive communion this morning and If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're welcome to participate in receiving communion. There'll be some people passing out the elements, the bread and the juice, and take the bread and the juice and hold on to it, and we will receive it together. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for being totally in control. Thank you that you wept over death, you were angry over death, even in their unbelief, but yet you had a plan, and that even when we fall short, you're still good, you're still very gracious and merciful. Lord, and when we face trials of any kind, Lord, let us run to you and not away from you, let us bring our questions to you. Will you help us pause to take a broader look of what's going on and not be so uh, pinpoint laser focus on our own situation, but how you will use it. Just as Carissa reminded us that uh, that the sadness that they had of not uh, taking home that first baby was the hope that that mother had in having the baby. So Lord, let us um, prepare our hearts to receive communion, and as we continue to worship you with a couple more songs, Lord, we're just reminded that you deserve so much more than what we could offer you, but yet you receive them because of you, so that you will be glorified. So we thank you, and we love you, in Christ's name, amen.